Welcome to Private Equity Perspectives, a podcast by BDO USA's private equity practice. Each episode, BDO connects with leaders in the private equity space to discuss the latest trends driving deal activity, fund strategies, and portfolio company optimization. Hello, and welcome to another episode of BDO's Private Equity Perspectives podcast. I'm Todd Kinney, National Relationship Director in BDO's private equity practice based here in New York City. Really thrilled to welcome two uh, guests to talk about their playbook for success and the latest trends in PE. First up, I'd like to welcome Jeff Volling, who's a Principal and Investment Officer with Bessemer Investors. It's great to have you here today, Jeff. Thanks, Todd. Next, I'd like to introduce Sam Levy, a Director at Equitech. Thanks, Todd. Glad to be here. Yeah, great to have you guys. Um, so uh, let's jump into things. We'll get it kicked off. Jeff, I'm going to start with you. Uh, at, you know, Bessemer Investors platform and I guess broader organization structure is a bit unique. Maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about your firm. Yeah, thanks, Todd. I uh, appreciate you having me on today, and and I uh, would be glad to tell you a little bit about our platform. Um, you know, you, you mentioned it, but Bessemer Investors is a bit unique in in that. Um, you know, we're backed by one investor, which is uh, the investment vehicle of the Phipps family. Uh, the Phipps family wealth goes back to Henry Phipps, who was a business partner of Andrew Carnegie's. And ever since the sale of Carnegie Steel in 1901 to J.P. Morgan, the family business has, has really been investments. Uh, and so Bessemer Investors is the latest in a series of investment platforms that have been backed by the Phipps family. Uh, other re- uh, platforms backed by the family uh, include wealth management firm Bessemer Trust as well as the private investment firms Bessemer Venture Partners and Lindsay Goldberg. Uh, Both Bessemer Ventures and Lindsay Goldberg started out investing exclusively Phipps family capital, but have since gone on to raise significant outside capital. Uh, When Bessemer Investors was formed a few years ago, the idea was to create a platform that would bring an institutional approach to investing, but also have exclusively Phipps family capital behind it, and therefore be able to be incredibly flexible and long-term oriented. So we have some really unique uh, features in that, you know, while we will ultimately sell everything we buy, we can hold all of our investments as long as we want to. So we have total flexibility on, on exit timing. Uh, we also don't take any fees of any kind from our portfolio companies uh, and can be incredibly flexible uh, from an investment size and structure perspective, including the ability to make both control and minority investments. We sort of use the phrase best of both worlds a lot in describing our platform and that we were trying to combine the professional execution of private equity with unique flexibility of a long-term capital base. Gotcha. Well, I appreciate that background. Um, Sam, turning to you, can you tell our listeners a bit about Equitex Focus? Yes. um, So we're uh, about uh, 60 professional uh, globally. Uh, We focus on the uh, knowledge economy uh, that is... uh, uh, B2B uh, asset light companies, um, but mostly like services, software, and data. We're also a little bit uh, different uh, in that we offer um, strategic advisory, um, transaction preparation, and uh, MA services. Um, myself, I've been uh, with Equitech for uh, a bit more than a year. Um, I have 13, 15 years of MA experience work, uh, working. Uh, primarily on the sell-side M&A, um, with a further focus on IT services, financial services, that's um, both tech and services, and security. So that's uh, overall, that's uh, 
fintech, cyber, and related services. Great, thanks. Certainly sounds like you both have a uh, wealth of experience to bring to the conversation today. And selfishly, I, uh, I always like to have a uh, PE professional and investment banker on to kind of talk about both sides of the market and keep each other in check a little bit. So uh, let's, let's, let's dig in here. So Jeff, uh, I'll start with you and then Sam can weigh in. Maybe you can describe a little bit about how you're working to get deals done during the pandemic and highlight maybe some of the nuances between your approach. Sure, yeah, we've, yeah. we're certainly living in interesting times and it's impacted pretty much every industry, I think, uh, and our, ours is no different. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, our firm has some unique uh, differences from traditional private equity. And so, you know, we think those are important uh, in any market conditions, but, but even more important in the current environment. So for us, we're really trying to emphasize and, and take advantage of our flexibility uh, and ability to take a very long-term view on, on the current situation. You know, in, in particular, what that means is, you know, looking at things like minimizing or, or even foregoing the use of leverage uh, at the time of the initial investment and looking to potentially recapitalize things when, when they're more stable. Um, taking a very long-term view on the earnings history and future potential of businesses that we look at um, and, and really try to understand and uh, properly value the potential for a rebound on, on the other side of the current disruption. Uh, we'll also look at minority transaction structures um, that would enable sellers to retain you know, more equity for uh, a potential sale at a later date. Um, and also, uh, I mentioned that we don't take fees, and we think that's really important in this environment so that any cash that's either invested or generated from operations can be used for the benefit of all shareholders. Uh, so we really try to emphasize kind of our points of differentiation uh, and how they can be applied in, in this market. Um, we also, finally, I'll just say, really try to focus on sectors where we have uh, past experience or a particular focus uh, recently so that when we're evaluating a situation, we can really move with speed and certainty, which we think are just absolutely paramount in this environment. Sure, makes a lot of sense. Sam, what are your thoughts? Yes, um, I think first, uh, our industry had moved uh, to be more and more uh, remote over the years uh, through technology, um, but there are definitely through the, the pandemic, uh, there's been some aspects of uh, deal making that uh, that have definitely changed, and for us, that starts with uh, sourcing. Um, I think we've uh, we've signed four or five uh, new mandates during the pandemic, and three of these have been without ever uh, meeting the team on the other side or the client, uh, which is um, very uh, very unique. Um, through the deal making, obviously, there's been some uh, uh, some wrinkles and mostly a time extension um, during the process where we have had to, to be more, uh, more hands-on and keeping the lines of communications open between buyers and uh, potential buyers and sellers, uh, in my case. Uh, but definitely uh, for closing, what we see throughout is there, need, uh, there needs to be one um, physical uh, interaction, uh, even if it's limited to a long coffee or uh, a lunch, not a full management presentation that is needed. And um, obviously the, the last aspect is uh, internal and how to, to manage the, uh, the, um, the communications uh, within the firm, but also sometimes with the clients where um, meeting is not, uh, sitting down together is not an option anymore. Um, but that's, uh, that's come a long way uh, and 
we had already progressed uh, towards that before the pandemic, uh, just to, to make things go faster. Yeah. All right. Well, certainly sounds like some solid strategies uh, across both of your firms. So thanks for that input. Um, Sam, this one to you. In terms of the uh, valuation and financial modeling background that you bring to the table, um, I'm really just curious how Equitech is explaining the current uh, economic situation to clients and, and when really a recovery may happen. Yeah. Um, so the environment uh, has recovered uh, rapidly, at least in the B2B uh, space uh, general, uh, generally, um, much faster than I can say anyone would have expected uh, if you look back in March or April. So, um, so that's a that's a little bit uh, behind us. Deals are happening, um, and as I mentioned, the, the velocity of some deals was affected or had been affected. There was a, a, a good two months where things were going much slower, um, and I would say we're we're back to some level of uh, normality uh, now. Um, that being said. Um, I, I think we're still far from a full, full uh, recovery, uh, uh, like uh, what we had like late last year, uh, January, February. Um, but uh, um, I would say, uh, and be, uh, I'll be a little bit uh, mindful here. Uh, if I knew uh, when the full recovery will be, uh, I would not, I'd probably not be here. <laughs> we always like to have throw out some crystal ball questions, so. Uh... We'll let, we'll let you go on that, but uh, some very thanks. useful intel there, Sam, so thanks. I think our audience uh, is certainly gonna find, uh, you know, that content uh, uh, pretty valuable as they're trying to figure things out for themselves and their firms. Next, I'd like to turn it over to our coffee break guest, Doug Hart. Doug's a co-leader of BDO's technology practice and he's based in our San Francisco office. Let's hear what Doug has to say. Hi, this is Doug Hart. I'm co-leader of the national technology industry here at BDO. And today I'd like to cover some trends that we're seeing in the intersection of technology and private equity. Um, so first of all, to set the stage, uh, the latest deal numbers in the tech space, despite COVID, are, are really strong. Um, for VCs globally across verticals and stages, more than 1,000 companies received funding and raised a total of $7.5 billion. Uh, in August 2020, up from $4.4 billion uh, in August the same time last year, according to PitchBook. Uh, on the PE side, the investor appetite for tech buyout funds is really strong. Um, according to Prequin, uh, tech-focused PE funds have attracted more than $30 billion in front fundraising through July 2020. And uh, yeah, that includes large funds such as you know, $10 billion for Francisco Partners, a shift by large non-tech funds such as Carlisle, KKR, Warburg, Pincus into tech spending. But that doesn't even include, I don't believe, the $21 billion raise that Toma Bravo is in the midst of presently. So again, I think it's going to be a possibly a record year in terms of tech funding um, or for PE, PE funds. Um, the distressed deals that PE is seeing in other industries are not really quite as relevant for technology. Um, you do have some tech companies that are selling into distressed industries. For instance, you might sell software to restaurants or health clubs or what have you. And Or if you're selling possibly um, hardware capital equipment, you're seeing some disruption of your supply chains. And also some companies are moving away from large capital expenditures. So you are having some, some uh, subsectors in tech being impacted. But generally businesses... Um, when they're looking to cut spending, it's in travel, hiring, events, marketing, entertainment, 
CapEx. But technology generally is, we're not seeing is on that list for cuts or reductions. In fact, in many cases, we're seeing companies increasing their technology spend. So I think that's part of the reason for the strength of the tech sector in deals. Um, and the tech sector is still getting deals done um, during COVID. Uh, you know, for certain industry sectors, we've seen deal flow slow because, you know, PE professionals and, and companies, you know, targets lacking comfort, you know, with kind of remote due diligence and assessing management teams and assessing fit, et cetera. But, you know, tech-focused private equity investors have traditionally been comfortable with remote deals for years since they're tech-savvy and, frankly, they're utilizing their technology of, of the companies they invest in oftentimes. Um, and also then finally, there's downside protection for tech companies because their largest cost is payroll. So if they hit some COVID headwinds, they're pretty nimble at reducing costs to maintain EBITDA. So some of those things, those are some factors that's keeping the tech um, um, pipeline of deals strong. Um, so where are there opportunities uh, in tech? Um, I guess I would say tech, again, as I said, has been more uh, resilient to the pandemic, but it's not one size fits all within tech. So what types of deals are getting done? Um, first of all, what we are seeing is financing terms or, you know, spreads are wider, et cetera, than pre-COVID. So, you know, it's a little bit of stretch there. Um, but the tech industry is not a one-size-fits-all. There's a lot of subsectors, mm-hmm. software, SaaS, hardware, internet, social media, telecommunications, semiconductor, et cetera. So, so among those sectors, where are we seeing the most opportunities available? Um, I guess the first thing is, you know, subscription models. So again, that can be software SaaS, or it can be kind of a combined hardware software, or it can be kind of internet or social media. Um, but basically, we're seeing that increasingly that software companies and even some hardware software companies are focused on building their annual recurring revenue streams. Um, and we're actually seeing renewal rates for subscriptions. They're generally not being impacted um, unless you're selling into an incredibly distressed sector. Um, in fact, some are seeing that maybe renewal rates um, for solutions and sub- technology subscriptions are actually up. Um, because basically, rather than a big CapEx investment for customers, um, you know, you're, you've got a smaller buy. And so what we're seeing also is in a pandemic, when you're looking to reduce costs, you know, th- this is kind of a, a smaller monthly cost. Um, secondly, what we're seeing is is company CIOs are using COVID to accelerate their cloud transformation. So the adoption of things like security, network networking capacity, application monitoring, all these things in the deep, dark bowels of kind of keeping your um, your remote workforce efficient, what have you, um, we're actually seeing an increase in spending there. So, um, so what are the main takeaways? First of all, the pace of tech deals hasn't slowed and largely valuations haven't been significantly impacted. Um, and, you know, look for business models that are, that are either currently sh- subscription-based or can be shifted to subscription-based uh, models. Um, so that is uh, it today. So now back over to you, Todd. Thanks, Doug. Now let's return our conversation with Sam Levy and Jeff Balling. So Jeff, at Bessemer, you invest across a, a wide range of situations and structures. So I'd ask you kind of what type of investment criteria do you look at and what's your general approach to sector focus? Yeah, thanks, Todd. Um, you know, it's a great question. And I mentioned earlier that, you know, especially in this environment, we're really trying to stick to areas we know and, and have a view on. Um, you know, in, in broad brushstrokes, uh, we focus on investments across the industrial business services and, and consumer sectors, but those are incredibly broad sectors. So we're perpetually trying to refine our thinking around them and, and identify particular subsectors that are most relevant for us 
based on our past experience, our extended network of industry resource, and just what's going on in the world generally. So, you know, it's probably too much in this conversation to get into all of our subsectors of interest in detail. We, we do try to keep our website updated with them, so that's worth checking out. But I'll give you just a quick example of, of a sector and, and uh, that, that we think is representative of, you know, where we're focused, what we like, and how we try to leverage our experience. So flow control is a sector that we really like because a lot of the businesses in that sector tend to exhibit characteristics that we look for. Uh, for, for example, highly engineered, often specced in products that are a relatively low cost but uh, component, but critical to the performance of, of high value systems and, and often have stable demand from aftermarket parts and service revenue streams. Um, Last year, we invested in a, in a company in that space called Leonard Valve, which manufactures a, a highly engineered uh, valve that regulates the mixing of hot and cold water in, in commercial and industrial settings. Um, you know, Leonard exhibited a lot of what we look for in, in industrial products and flow control. Um, but one interesting aspect of the investment was that uh, Leonard's products, particularly their newest generation of electronic valves, have some features that play a really interesting role in ensuring water purity and driving energy efficiency. As a result of that, we're building on our experience there to develop a broader thesis across related industrial service categories like HVAC, plumbing, and refrigeration, where those same themes are highly relevant. So that's just one quick example of you know, how we try to leverage our experience uh, and, and the themes that we're focused on to develop sectors, really subsectors of priority and focus. Got it. Thanks, Jeff. Always good to plug your website uh, along the way. Good job. For Sam, yeah, yeah. Sam, in terms of uh, taking on new engagements, um, I, I guess the question is, how has the pandemic uh, impacted your approach to the business and doing deals in general? Yeah. Um, so I mentioned a little bit before uh, right. how we've, uh, we've successfully uh, taken on new engagements. Um, if anything, uh, I would say that uh, we're uh, a little bit more careful in taking those new engagements. Um, we've been, uh, I would say, lucky um, and more active than any time I can remember. Um, the moral is we cannot, we cannot afford to take a, a company to market that will not transact, um, both from uh, in general, but especially now. Um, and we are probing a little bit, uh, we have time to probe our prospects a little bit further, um, doing more diligence ahead of taking an, uh, a new engagement. Um, and, and look, we're definitely concerned about uh, a potential second wave, second lockdown, um, second slowdown, um, both uh, personally and for the team's moral and, and for, the, for our clients. Um, and we don't want to end up having to, um, more difficulties down the road. Um, and uh, the question is not whether uh, uh, business will be there. I think uh, uh, it will be there. The first, uh, the first wave uh, has proven that. Um, but uh, I think um, a lot of people um, uh, have had to learn rapidly how to adapt. And, uh, and now uh, a lot of those firms, at least in the B2B space, um, have adapted and have transformed accordingly. And even if that prepares us a little bit uh, better if there is a, a second wave. Gotcha. Good, good insight there, Sam. 
Uh, we're gonna we're gonna shift gears again, but Sam, I'm gonna stay uh, stay with you on this one. So I see your investment banking career has largely been focused on B two B tech and services. Uh, maybe you could share with our listeners your thoughts around some of the tailwinds the pandemic is creating uh, for the knowledge econ economy, um, and also some areas where you're finding the most opportunities in this environment. Yeah, and I will start by not ignoring that there has been some casualties in our space. Um, if I think of uh, sales performance improvement, training, um, HR-focused services, those have been very, uh, very much uh, impacted. However, um, you can say that the space has uh, not behaved as badly as envisioned. I think um, Gartner is uh, looking at uh, a 5 to 6% decrease for the full year uh, in activity. Uh, don't quote me on the, uh, these numbers, but uh, that's for 2020. And they're actually thinking of uh, five to six percent positive for 2021. Um, so it's been uh, it's been quite uh, quite good. Uh, and um, uh, with going forward, definitely a good uh, good amount of uh, uh, tailwinds. Um, I'm spending some of my time in the uh, security space. Um, it's been it was a space that actually didn't need any help uh, for growth. Uh, if anything, the pandemic has uh, accentuated uh, the need for secure solutions. And it's also linked to the fact that uh, people are more uh, careful about privacy, but also the, uh, um, the perimeter around the enterprise that has expanded and needs to be secure as well. Gotcha. Those are some great observations. Thanks for, uh, thanks for digging in there. Um, all right, for our last topic today, I think uh, folks would uh, certainly be interested to hear uh, what you're keeping your eye on as far as the 2020 election, uh, and maybe what are your biggest concerns coming out of the election cycle uh, as it relates to kind of PE and the industry. Um, Jeff, I'm going to ask you to go first, and then we'll have Sam chime in after. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. I know you like the crystal ball questions. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I forgot my crystal ball today, so I won't make any predictions. Uh, you know, and, and based on 2020 year to date, who knows what will happen? But, um, you know, with that said, I think probably the biggest issue uh, issue coming out of the election that will impact the PE industry is, is taxes. Uh, you know, some of the proposals out there could have a significant impact, not only on corporate and, and individual income tax rates, but on the potential after tax proceeds that can be realized when selling a business. So, you know, we're expecting it to be a busy fall with people potentially trying to close transactions before the end of the year. Uh, you know, beyond that, we're really just making sure we're prepared for some additional volatility as the, the market reacts to the uncertainty of potential policy changes. You know, we're fortunate uh, that with our capital base, we can and, and do take a very long-term view on things. And, you know, we'll continue to do that through this election cycle as well. Yeah, appreciate that. How about you, Sam? What's on your radar? Yeah, um, I will. Uh, I will uh, second Jeff here. Um, activity uh, usually in election years. Uh, what I've said it's uh, slowing down. Um, typically, uh, there's a, a bunch of activity before trying to close uh, uh, before the end of the year or before the election even, um, and then a slowdown. Uh, what uh, this year is different. Um, it's, uh, it's, it has slowed down for different reasons. Uh, and now, uh, as I said, we're more busy than ever. So I'll, I'll take it uh, month by month or week by week uh, for now. 
Um, in terms of the reasons, something, uh, something as uh, what Jeff outlined, uh, really uh, the, uh, the potential tax reform is uh, a concern among, uh, among our plans. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Well, guys, I really enjoyed the, uh, the deep dive into what's at play in the market and some of what's behind your collective success. Uh, my colleagues and I at BDO uh, really value our broader relationships with Bessemer and Equitex. So thanks for being here today. I know you guys are busy. Um, stay safe. To our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review of the show on iTunes. Till next time, this is BDO's Private Equity Perspectives. The views presented by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of their respective firms. Thank you for listening to the Private Equity Perspectives podcast. For more information on how BDO supports private equity sponsors, funds, and their portfolio companies with a full spectrum of accounting, tax, and advisory services, please visit us at BDO.com. If you enjoyed the show, we hope you visit iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Join us next time for another edition of Private Equity Perspectives. Perspectives.